control. And so they're cutters or, or they burn themselves or they injure themselves on a regular basis simply because that is something they can control. And we mentioned that many of us would say, I can't relate to that. I, I don't really understand that. But yet, if you and I do not see the dangers of sin, we are in that very same condition spiritually where we're continually involving ourselves in something that is destroying our soul. Now we went to James the first chapter as we think about the emphasis of self-inflicted wounds. And remember that it is us that makes the decision to sin. And then we went over to Proverbs and we looked at the idea of, well, does really sin have any consequences? And absolutely sin has consequences. From the old Bible through the new Bible, we see this principle. And the principle is the way of the transgressor is hard. And so today we've chosen to take Saul as an example. Friends, Saul could have been one of those characters in the scriptures where you say, you want to see a man that God gave five talents to and he lived up to those talents and he fulfilled his potential. Saul could have been that character. But you know what? He continually wounded himself. He never lived to the full potential that God gave him. We looked in the earlier chapters at how fear kept him from being what he ought to be. Then we looked at the fact that, that he also uh, became very irresponsible. And now let's go to the 15th chapter and let's continue what we deal with in the 15th chapter. 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, and I say continue because we dealt with one of these this morning. And we will not go back and reread the text that was read this morning, but the first 10 or 11 verses deal with this simple teaching. And that is God told him to go in and destroy all of the Amalekites. To destroy Amalek. He decided he would go in and only destroy that which wasn't the best. Save the king, Agag. And save all the best spoils. And we close this morning's lesson with talking about how greed, how greed will move us to defy the very Word of God Himself. Let's look at three more things this evening from this chapter that are things that are self-inflicted. In other words, it was greed that brought into His life the wound of defying the Word of God. But let's read on now. We're going now to the 12th verse, and let's read of the arrogance of this man at this point. We're in 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, and let's read of his arrogance. His pride brought on the wound of arrogance. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Now let's go ahead before we make much comment on this arrogance here and see another example of this in the Scriptures. 2 Samuel, the 18th chapter. If you want to turn there or it's on the screen. 2 Samuel, the 18th chapter. Let's see where Absalom did a very similar thing here. Notice these men, how the emphasis is upon them. Not what God has done and how they were simply a tool for God's glory, but they wanted the emphasis placed upon them. And we read 2 Samuel 18 and 18. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. 
He called the pillar after his own name. And to this day, it's called Absalom's Monument. Pride is inviting the wound of arrogance into our life. I must realize that if I think more highly of myself than others, I'm inviting hardship into my life. And it will be definitely a spiritual hardship that will separate me from God. Here's a man that just a few verses earlier in this same chapter, we can see that God is telling him what to do and God is telling him that he'll give him the victory. And yet now he's ready to claim it all himself. Now he's ready to erect the monument and say, look at the great warrior that I am. Remember me. Why didn't he, like so many other warriors that were godly, erect an altar and burn sacrifice and praise and worship to God? Many of you serve in ministries. Many of you are very faithful to look after each other and to serve God in whatever abilities that God has given you to do. Let's be reminded this evening of how important it is to not think about ourselves, And let's make sure that we do not serve in order to be recognized, to be glorified, to be complimented. Let's make sure that our heart is genuine and that what we do is to glorify God because we truly want the population of heaven to increase. Pride and arrogance works against increasing the population of heaven. Humble service works to raise, to increase the population of heaven. Let's notice a third thing that this poor fellow did that just continually injured his life. Let's read now verse 13 and 14 and look how he was disillusioned here. Then Samuel went to Saul. We're still reading 1 Samuel 15 now. 13 and 14. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Can you believe that? God told him to go and destroy all, and yet he has brought back the king and so much of the best, and now he's ready to meet the man of God, Samuel. And by the way, Samuel and Saul, they loved each other. And so the greeting of of being warm with each other would have been natural. They were dear friends with each other. And so you can imagine how they would run to greet one another. But yet instead of saying, oh, I've done something terrible, I've disobeyed God, i defied God, my pride, my arrogance, what am I going to do, my greed? No, he runs to him and says, I've done everything God's asked. How could he say that? That's kind of what Samuel wants to know. How could you say that? Let's read the next verse. Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ear and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? His close peer. Do you think I'm deaf? Do you think I'm ignorant? Why is it you're telling me that you've obeyed every command of God? And yet standing all around you is proof that you've disobeyed God. Have you ever talked with someone in the depths of a sin and they are honestly convinced that nothing is wrong with their sin? Have you ever talked to someone that is lying and when you walk away from that conversation, you say to yourself, I really think they've started believing that lie. 
I know there was a time in their life where they knew that was a lie. I think they've really started believing their own lies. Could that ever happen? Could anyone ever start believing their own lies? I don't know what Saul was doing here. I don't know if he was honestly believing his own lies or if he believed that lying was the right thing to do at that time. But I do know this, and if you would, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. We're going to read verses 9 through 12, and we'll be on the screen also. 2 Thessalonians, the, the second chapter, 9 through 12. I do know this, that the Bible teaches that once we leave the truth, what else is there to believe? I want to strongly emphasize this because this is a principle that you and I, if we are to be faithful to God, we have to know this and we have to believe this. If we decide to leave the truth, there is nothing else to believe except a lie. Saul was deciding to leave the truth. The only thing left to believe are lies. How is it that people in the depths of sin can lie and feel so comfortable with it? One reason is because they can believe the lies they're telling. Here's how it's told in Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians verse 9 and following, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all powers, signs, and notice this last one, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because, why did they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Now hang on to that thought for just a moment. Because he's about to take, he's just used this as a closing point of a thought, but then it's going to be used as a, a uh, connection to the next fact. So in other words, why were they lost? They didn't love the truth. Friends, how much do you and I love the truth? When we sit down, do we open the Bible because we want to know God's Word? Or do we sit down and open the Bible because we want to prove what we want to believe? If you and I love the truth, we're willing to sit down and say, it doesn't matter if it steps all over my toes, I want to know the truth. God, what's your will in my life? It doesn't matter if it requires sacrifice on my part. God, what's your will in my life? It doesn't matter what we have to give up or what we have to invest in. God, what is your will in my life? These people were perishing because they did not love the truth. Now let's carry this same point. And the reason I say it is because the scriptures do. Look at verse 11. And for this reason, what is this reason? They did not love the truth. For this reason, God will send them strong delusions. Wow, that is a phrase that has just torn people up. I can't believe God would send delusions. That just doesn't sound like a good God. That doesn't sound like a just God if he would send delusions. What else do you want him to send? Here's someone that says, I don't want the truth. Okay? What else do you want to be sent your way then? If you didn't want the truth, there's only one thing left to sin. A delusion. There's not two truths. God didn't say, I'll give you this. Now, if you don't like this, we've got a plan B over here that's a supplemental truth. And just let us know and we can send that. And if you don't like that, we'll come up with some modern day prophecy and, and we'll send that. If you don't like that, well, I mean, think about how ridiculous that is. So he's writing to those of Thessalonica and it really boils down to this. You either love the truth or you start forming delusions in your mind. 
We say, I believe this is worth living for. I believe this is worth dying for. And it's nothing but a lie. Let's read the rest of this as, as we wrap up this point. That they should believe the lie. Verse 12, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had no pleasure, or that had pleasure in unrighteousness. Friends, we go back to our text. Did Saul really believe what he was saying? I don't know. He very well could have. Even with all of those things, those, those animals standing around and the king there, in one sense you say he had to know that he disobeyed God. Yes, if he was thinking of one that loves truth, he had to know that. But what if he no longer loved truth? It's very possible from Scripture to believe lies when we stop loving the truth. I need to be very careful that my heart is always set upon a love for the truth. Because if it's not, the only thing left to believe are lies. Let's look at the fourth and final point here. Let's go to 20 and 21. We could read this earlier in this same passage, but let's skip down to 20 and 21 in 1 Samuel uh, 15. And let's see what happens also. The danger, the self-inflicted wound of blaming others and how when we fall into uh, that habit, that behavior of blaming others, it leads to denial. The 20th chapter... I mean, the 20th and 21st verse of the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel. And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. See how he sounds disillusioned? In the same breath, he's saying, I obeyed, but I brought back the king. That's so mixed up. But that's what happens when we stop loving the truth. Okay, but now notice how he blames as we go into the next phrase in the next verse. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people, the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Listen, I've done what I was supposed to do. It's the people's problem. They are the ones to blame for all of this. If it weren't for these people, everything would be just the way God wants it to be. Now, who's the king here? Who's the one that's responsible? Who's the one that no doubt allowed Agag to live and all the spoils to be brought back home? We know the answer to that was Saul. But what does he do? He does what human nature tends to do. Notice, we're to live on a higher plane, a higher calling. We're to live spiritual, not a carnal life. What does a carnal life do? A carnal life enjoys blaming others. A carnal life enjoys denying the fact that anything is even wrong. And if pre the push comes to shove, if something is wrong, it can't be my fault. You know, in the 12-step recovery program, as you can imagine... Denial is something that has to be confronted and hit heavy. And one of their illustrations in one way seems so crazy, but yet it really makes a good point. And it is the idea of inviting an elephant. And the only way this will work is, picture this, invite an elephant into your living room. Have him try to sit down on the couch, bust up the furniture. Try to walk around and act as if the elephant's not there. 
a real life-size elephant in your living room. And when people ask about the elephant, deny that he's there. When they ask about the broken furniture, deny that the elephant's there. You never admit it and never allow anyone else to admit that the elephant exists. How crazy would that be to actually have an elephant in your living room? People can see the elephant and you say, he's not there. He's not there. That's not nearly as crazy as someone living in sin and saying, it's not sin. I've obeyed God. It's not sin. Would your first impulse tonight be, I'm right with God? But yet, if you and God had a long, serious talk, you would have to admit, I'm not right with God. It's so easy for us to deny our own sin. Oh yeah, he's a sinner and she's a sinner and he needs to repent and she needs to repent. Not me. I'm all right. Deny our own sin and blame others. Tonight, I hope we realize from just this one chapter how serious it is to not address the wounds the spiritual wounds that inflict our life. Friends, we can't be what God wants us to be without removing these. Where does it all start? I'd like to close and extend the invitation with just reminding you of a story that probably most of you know very well. Do you remember Luke, the 15th chapter? You remember the boy that he must have been a little bit greedy. Sounds like our lesson today, doesn't it? Daddy, give me my inheritance. In his mind, he's thinking, I have some living I want to do. His father gives him his inheritance. And he goes out and he lives his righteous living. The famine comes and he finds himself injured. Is that any surprise? That's what sin does. Self-injuries. While he's feeding the hogs, he thinks about what life was like before the injury of sin. And tonight, as we are about to sing a song of imitation, I want you to think about this one phrase out of verse 17. He's thinking about his life when he was not injured by sin. And he is standing here in the mire with the pigs, injured in sin. And verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, and he began to think about how things were better in his father's house, how things were better when he wasn't living a life of sin, and he decided to go home. And what happened? Everything was so much better when he repented. And he went back to his father. Tonight, if you've been carrying the burden and the wounds of sin, please don't carry them any longer. There's an emergency room with Jesus Christ. There's the great physician that says, I can forgive 
and I can heal. But you know, all of us have to be willing to do what the prodigal son did. We have to come to ourselves and realize it's my responsibility. It's going to be right. I have to take the next move. Friends, God's done His part. And He's inviting us to do our part. If you need to come back to Him, if you need to make wrongs right, there's not anyone here perfect tonight. Let's just make sure that we all leave here forgiven tonight. If you've never been baptized into Christ for remission of sins, don't leave here tonight without having those past wounds forgiven. Let today, tonight, tomorrow be a period of healing. Maybe you've been saved, but somewhere along the way you've separated from what God wanted you to be and you're carrying those burdens of sins and wounds. Tonight's the time, by the grace of God, to put that behind you. Repent. Let's pray forgiveness. Let's leave here healed. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand.